So therefore, be proud to be a decent American rather than be just a wanker whipping up fear. Because you're supposed to tackle people, you're supposed to hit people at pace and hit them hard as part of the game. It's not chess we're playing. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f he wants. Hello everybody and welcome along to WTS 110 110 110 110 Nearly at the 111 like the Dublin bust belly rack the one, That got changed recently though, it's like docky or something now, isn't it? Yeah, but it goes docky, um, I got on it when we went down for drinks Oh, that's why you um, gave me a point Docky, and it goes down to the Right. past Scrum Diddley's right. Up Best intro of a podcast ever uh, <laughs> That's then, right, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Dublin Bus Routes here. <laughs> then up to Monkstown McCormick's. Right. Then up the New Road. <laughs> I think that's where it is. Sorry, lads. Uh, it's can't, can't wait till next week and we'll discuss the 45A. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Our guest this week. Was... What, what was that? Fucking cabbage, I am. <laughs> Talking about roots. Who gives a shit? But, but you were doing it real kind of like. And then, uh, and then it goes to this place. And now I tell you, if there's if there's roadworks, it'll divert. But don't worry, you mad thing. We many Dublin bus driver listeners. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> I couldn't give it. Budge, Harry Budge. Uh, I guess this week, uh, join us for the third time, and the second time in quick succession when we hadn't had her on for nearly two years. Ash the Bash Daily. Yeah. She never wanted to come on. No, no, no. She no. left us hanging Look, for ages. Your fault, guys. Your fault. Had to bribe her. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. It's Delighted great to, to see here. you. Thanks yeah. for coming. Um, <laughs> I want one in for the Patrick Castle Hotel, of course. Just go to. Nice. Do you like this place? Yeah, like, do you like our new studio? Because we yeah. were in the gym and oh, we did the right, one to one. one. Yeah. yeah, actually, the first time I'd done the podcast, I remember I couldn't feel my fingers over toes when I left. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're having it was Baltic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. And now you're having to crack a window so that you're not. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Times have changed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, moving up in the yeah, world, lads. Yeah. What can I say? Yeah. Impressed. Yeah. And you've got water there as well. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. brought yeah. me on just in case. I was gonna say, yeah, you don't trust this outside water. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit too far south for me. Yeah. Pizza Carlo said the same thing, and then he started talking about how much he loves Kleine. <laughs> <laughs> no, Northside War, that's not good. Yeah, I thought that was cold for something before, if I'm being honest with you. What? Do you want to drop a Northside Water? <laughs> Do I want to drop a Northside it's weird, Water? It's real lime skatey or something. Is it? It's too much fluoride, yeah, it's not, not yeah. nice at all. Ugh, wouldn't be on the Northside anyway. <laughs> wouldn't allow you. Yeah. You're, you're not from the north side. No, I'm not. No, you're not. You don't want me on no. the north side either. No. Pete's easy. Pete's easy. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that we go to war with, actually. I apologise. Here's me giving you a guff and not even meant to. So. <laughs> Pete's easy. You know, I guess I'm not the right, the, the right end of the south side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're at the wrong end. <laughs> yeah. um, how have you been, first and foremost? Yeah, I've been good, yeah. Obviously, with the retirement and all that kind of stuff, it was yeah. a bit of a shock to the system. I went from pretty much fighting fit last year you know then out with an injury always expecting to come back and then all of a sudden no sorry you're not doing this anymore so that was a bit a bit crazy so definitely for the last few months it's been a lot of adjustment and just getting used to to life as as we call them in the gym civi- being a civilian <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
going from pro MMA fighter to civilian, it's a little bit a little bit strange the adjustment. But I think I'm settling in all right. You know, I'm still kind of in that weird phase of not really knowing what I want to do with my life. I kind of feel like you're 17 again, going into the guidance counselor, and they're asking, "What subject do you like to do?" Or I'm like, uh, "I like English." All oh, right, that's it. Arts degree. <laughs> there you yes. go. So I am in that phase a little bit. So I have a few ideas of what I want to I want to do. So. I'll just see. I'm enjoying coaching at the moment. I'm doing a lot of coaching in Swords. I was coaching in SPG Port Arlington for a bit, just giving the guys a hand getting set up down there. So uh, it's great to be coaching. I must say, I really am enjoying it. It's just really, really cool for me at this stage to see people start off from scratch. Like, basically, they come in day one and they hardly know the difference between their right and their left hand. And then, you know, a few months later, they're they're rolling and sometimes they're competing and winning. And so it's, it's really, really nice for me. So I'm enjoying it. Deadly. Deadly. You know, when um, you were saying about the knee injury and then next minute you had to retire, what was the what were the events like leading up to that? Did you, it was a routine scan, was it? Or uh, Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, my scan wasn't even due. Uh, I had another few months left before my scan was, was due to be up. And Do you have to get these scans? Uh, yeah, you have to get them done, yeah. So every different association or organisation tends to have their own rules. So I think with the UFC at this point, it's um, it's pretty much every two years in Nevada. So I had a few months left where I wouldn't have had to get the scan done. And it just so happened that my doctor was like, oh, your scan, you know, you're going in to get your knee scanned. So why don't you just go in and get your head scanned while you're you're in there type thing? And I didn't really think any much of it. So I kind of got the all clear for my knee and the no for my, my head all around the, the same time. So... Uh, the first scan, whatever showed up on it, Professor Healy didn't say anything to me. He wouldn't talk to me about it then. He just said, oh, you know, I'm just going to send you back in for another one to something else that I that I want to check while while you're in there. And he sent me for another two scans after the original scans just to make sure that everything was 100% and what he was seeing was there. And then he called me into his office and he'd normally be a quick call or a text or whatever when he just when it wasn't important. So as soon as I, I knew he was calling me into my office, I knew it was going to be pretty pretty serious. So really? Yeah, yeah. What was yeah. going through your head? Uh, I, I kind of just had a feeling that it was bad. I, I didn't know what kind of level of bad it was going to be, but I knew it wasn't going to be good. I didn't know whether it was going to be, oh, you have something and we can have surgery or whether it's or something terrible is showing up and you won't be able to compete again but I, I knew it wasn't going to be good but I didn't know what level of, of bad it was going to be like so when I got in there he just basically said um look you know I've scanned you and re-scanned you and we've done it all different sorts of ways just to make sure that what I'm seeing is actually what I'm seeing and um he like it looks like there's evidence of a, a brain hemorrhage and I was like a brain hemorrhage what like you know, yeah, like, you, know you see like kind of it, it's dramatic in your head and you think mm. about it you're like oh brain hemorrhage like you know somebody having a stroke and you know lose function and all this kind of stuff but he was like no no it's a, a small small hemorrhage just whatever is there it's like it's usually kind of like leftover blood i'm not very scientific so did <laughs> the, the, the next three yeah you're, yeah, you're exactly. a civvy now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah so basically there was just some kind of matter there on my brain like evidence of a bleed on the brain at, at some point since the previous scan so he said to me, in my opinion, he said, oh, I just think you should should stop with any kind of head contact from now on. So I was kind of like, oh, what, training? Like, so, like, don't spar coming up to fights or, you know what I mean? And he's yeah. like, no, no, I think you, you should stop competing also. I'm like, oh, like, it just, it, I couldn't, I couldn't get it into my head. But when he explained it to me that basically I got off so lucky that usually in that situation when somebody has brain hemorrhage like that, whichever part of your brain that's controlled 
by that area if that gets damaged you usually lose control of that function so it could be anything from you know ending up with like a droopy face or you can't write with your right hand anymore or kind of like a stroke yeah exactly so when he basically said to me look you're fine like you've had no noticeable side effects of this like you didn't even realize it was happening at the time and you're fine he was like you know there's the potential here that if something goes wrong if you keep continuing to compete that you'll lose everything about you that makes you you. He was like, you know, you're actually daily. By the end of this, you might not be if you keep going the way you're going. So that terrified me. And when I thought about that, I was like, whoa, I was like so lucky. I just, instead of being like, oh, why me? Why did this happen to me? I was doing so well. Everything was going so great. Like I was kind of like bitter and angry at the very beginning. Like it, this is all in the space of like uh, an hour in Professor Heady's office going through all these emotions. So then by the end of it, I was just being really grateful that, it had been found the way it had been found and that it wasn't going to get any worse and there was going to be no lasting effects from it. it wasn't going to deteriorate or anything like that. And I was like, wow, I was so lucky. You know, you think about people, you know, I heard stories, especially after I started telling people what happened, they would tell me stories like, oh, my husband actually is in a wheelchair now because he was on a building site and somebody dropped a wrench and he wasn't wearing a hard hat and he ended up with brain damage and now he lost the use of his legs or oh, my friend, something like that, similar happened, but now she can't speak properly because, you know, the muscles in her face don't work or there was just all these stories that people were telling me and I was like, wow, I was just so lucky. Like I literally didn't yeah. notice it was happening, had no negative side effects. I'm like, woohoo. I'm like, yeah, yeah. get out of jail free card. <laughs> you know? That's how you felt, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I did. And that, like I, straight out, like, like literally, in the office yeah, or? Like, yeah, I went through that like feelings while I was there and then, you know, chatting to my family and stuff after and they were just like, oh, we're so glad you're all right and we're so glad nothing bad happened. And I was just trying to focus on just the positive because, like, yeah. MMA was only ever going to be a certain part of my life anyway. You can't still be fighting pro MMA at 60. Yeah. In my head, I had thought to myself early 30s, you know, I'd be like, oh, you know, I want to have another UFC belt, you know, by the time I'm, like, say, 32 or something like that. I not another UFC belt, another world title, which would have been the UFC belt by, say, 32. And then I'll be looking at winding down after. You know, that was kind yeah. of the plan I had in my head. So obviously all that was cut short. So I didn't quite have the plan in place, but I was always like, oh, when I retire, you know, I'll go into coaching, I'll set up my own gym, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do all these things. And then it was all of a sudden it was on top of me and I didn't really have what I wanted in place to go with the next step yeah. and I was kind of shocked and a little bit taken back but oh god I'm not ready to to run a gym yet I'm not ready to be a full-time coach I'm, I'm still I'm still at the height of of competition like yeah. I felt like a lot of stuff especially because 115 was such a, a tough weight class for me to make I finally found I, uh, like I'd got everything dialed down where I was starting to perform at 115 like I would be in the gym because I always felt like the the weight cuts would take so much out of my performance. I was kind of like going in at 50% yeah. into a fight. Whereas for the show in Dublin, I was like, well, I actually really performed in that fight. I'd love to, you know, this is going to be great shot. going forward. Yeah, exactly. So it was just the way it, just the way it all worked out. But then obviously I was so grateful that I, I had been found that nothing bad had happened. And then in hindsight, also thinking about the last fight that I had, I was like, wow, like that was the best night I could have picked to retire, you know, if... Yeah you won a UFC title for your very last fight in Las Vegas. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be special. But it wouldn't be anything like fighting at home in Dublin, no. you know. To have that crowd, to have that Jesus. walkout, yeah. to have that kind of a fight that I had because it was such an entertaining fight. It was a real, real exciting, real war because there was times where I was in a bit of trouble, mm. you know, times where I had to like fight hard, where times where I was doing really well. It was just an exciting fight and the crowd got, you know, 15 minutes of action and... Like, that was the big thing for me. When I started, it was like, Dana White was like, women will never set foot in the UFC octagon and all this kind of rubbish. So for me, one of the goals was just to get to the UFC. 
And then after I got to the UFC, it was like, oh, wow, Dublin. And then obviously everything was kicking off crazy with Connor. I knew it was only going to be a, a matter of time that before they start having a lot of shows here or, or bringing them back or whatever. And then to get to fight on a UFC show in, in Dublin was just like, wow, this is amazing. This is only something that I could have dreamed of when I started. So I couldn't have picked a better night. So like it actually worked out perfectly. Like I said, UFC title would have been fantastic, but it wouldn't have been as special. It was, finish up. it was so full circle though, wasn't it? It was like yeah, it was, October, yeah. like just the highest moment ever. Like you must like watching that back. I still occasionally watch that. Uh, just the walkout. Yeah. And you're looking at you and you're kind of going, "What is going through Ash's head there? Like is she emotional? She's looking at the crowd. Like we're looking at her on the screen. We're eyes are sweating. Yeah, yeah. It, was just, it was so weird. Like there was so much emotion on that night. And then I wasn't the first one out. I can't remember who from the team had gone out before me. I think maybe Cottle was up before me. And uh, John said to me, he was like, look, that crowd is crazy out there. So like really be ready for it. So um, at the, as soon as I walk out the door, you can see it in the video. I have my hood down and I'm out for about three or four seconds and I put my hood up. And that was kind of my way of just going, okay, that's a bit too much for me to be paying attention to. <laughs> and really? I literally just put my hood up and then I just focused in on this little bit around yeah. what I could see like just completely you had a job to do in the end exactly, of the day exactly yeah and yeah. That, that's, that's what I felt like in my head it was like you know obviously the lads had fought in the force UFC and I heard them like oh you couldn't lose with that crowd in Dublin like no matter what was going on that crowd would carry you through and whatever and I don't believe in any of this stuff I believe in hard work like yeah. I don't believe that somebody else can do the job for you yeah. and I remember as that crowd was starting to go crazy and everything, and I felt, I felt a bit overwhelmed, I was like, look, you're only on your way to work. You haven't done the job yet. You know, so just... <laughs> you're on your way to work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're on your way to work the most amazing walkout in UFC history, not even Dublin history, Man. and you're just walking to work. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's the way we always would say it, like another day at the office. Like, it's so a great like, way this, of putting this it This is our, our office, you know, if you overthink it or make it bigger than it is, yeah. you know, the pressure can get to you. would be like, yeah, this, this is my office, sure, I just turn up and do this every day. If, yeah. My coach rang me and said, look, you're going to turn up and do three rounds or five rounds or whatever, one of the lads there later on today, and I'm going to have a look at you. You'd be like, yeah, no, but I'll see you there. Like, so just don't make it any bigger than that. It's just a scrap at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. That's One of the things that stands out to me as well, though, is like obviously you've you've been fighting for a while. You're you were the champion and everything. Then you get to the UFC. You have that amazing moment in in Dublin, the, the walkout and all that. And as you said, like kind of almost like the, the the perfect way to end it, almost even if it wasn't what you'd planned on. You know, so now kind of in retrospect, you know what I mean? Like you called like a legend, a pioneer, and all that to kind of have that part of your career your life kind of stop at what 26 27 20 uh I've held me now I'm 29 so I guess I was 28 28 so I mean like even that like how do you kind of compartmentalize that like and start at 28 be like oh okay right so I have to be a grown up again he's and like smooth you know talking what I mean? there. <laughs> he was smooth talking there saying 26 well, <laughs> yeah well, I do have a baby face it, it's it's hard don't, like, you, don't, you don't mind him you don't look at that old 25 <laughs> See him. He, he. <laughs> I was just saying you were a smooth talker. Look, Granny's at bus stops ask me, Am I going to school when I have a backpack on? <laughs> <laughs> and then I say, That'll No. Do. And they say, You going to college? And I say, No, I finished. And then they say, Jeez, how old are you? And then I tell them, and then they're very surprised. So I still get asked for ID and Aldi sometimes as well. Oh, love it. <laughs> there you go. But it is, it is very hard, definitely, to kind of like. My family would always like joke like entire career. Be like, when are you gonna get a real job? Like, you know, like what are you doing? Like, you know, even when I was doing really well and things were going great, it'd just be an ongoing joke in the family. Oh, you have to get a real job and kind of like. 
be an adult and there was a lot of stuff like I had a very kind of sheltered adulthood and that's what I always say to people now is like there was a lot of stuff that I was exposed to and it was great and I had so many great experiences but there's a lot of stuff like regular stuff like whether it's going to be like paying bills or having to just like live life as an actual adult that I just didn't have to do while I was yeah. fighting because you just either you didn't want to do it so you, you made sure you didn't or else it wasn't necessary like you know if you're living at home or whatever with your parents you just eat sleep train repeat like once you have like food in your belly you're you're able to turn up at the gym like you don't really care about anything else and even in terms of like relationships friendships all that kind of stuff like everything was based around the the gym like you weren't going to bother with anything else because it took took energy away from your your goal like you know yeah. you're not going to you're not going to put anything in jeopardy by spending too much time doing something that takes you away from the the gym so it's just it's bizarre to to, to find yourself all of a sudden being like friendly ready, ready to go like and then yeah, yeah friendly probably yeah. i probably wasn't always that friendly nice when i see you guys but you know don't don't get don't 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 get involved when i'm on the mat or something like calling me off like what you want doing stuff titles to be won here or in fight camp yeah oh, exactly yeah. Oh, make away i wouldn't be social at all then you wouldn't see much of me um. And are, are you comfortable when people use terms like pioneer and legend and that, or does it just kind of? Um, to be honest, I don't think about it. Like when somebody uses that term, like it just what, like it, it's like it's just abstract. Like I don't really know mm. what that that means, and I don't over overthink it. Yeah. Like if there was gonna if I was gonna pick somebody to be a pioneer for MMA in the country of everybody yeah obviously I'd include myself in that kind of bunch and I see myself as being a good role model and that's something that I didn't consciously do at the beginning but then I had so many particularly dads but young young girls and they'd say to me like oh wow you're such a great role model for my daughter you know you see all this rubbish the Kardashians and this that and the other and I was like wow there's kids looking at me and dads that send like pictures of their their daughter with MMA gloves on or like my fight be on the TV and there'd be like a seven-year-old girl watching the fight or something like that and I'm like oh god there's like this this girl's looking at me like and they're they're thinking you know I want to be like her or even when like all the other girls and you see like Ronda and whatever obviously not so much now uh, not saying she's not a good role model but how she handled the loss wouldn't be what I'd like young girls to see yeah, as being yeah. how you should handle Absolutely, a loss yeah. you know but obviously she was really empowering for a lot of young girls so even just to be in that kind of lump of empowering women like uh, I was really conscious of that so I've made a special effort to to make sure that like what I'm saying on social media is is kind of it's just intelligent stuff, you know what I mean? I'm not posting any kind of rubbish. And then, like, I, I'm, I was never the type to be, like, taking my clothes off to, to get likes or money or anything like that. So I make sure that, oh, like, that's not something that I would like a young girl to see. You don't need to be doing that kind of stuff. If you're good at something, eventually you might have to jump through a few more hurdles than uh, a guy or something like that, but you will be recognised on your merit. You don't need to do anything else. It'll just take a little bit longer sometimes. So I'm conscious of that. So I like being taught about as a pioneer in that kind of respect as in how I've carried myself and how I've acted and I've never been one for for smack talking or disrespect and anybody anything that I've said about a previous opponent whether it was in terms of somebody who I thought was using steroids or somebody who I thought uh, wasn't a particularly good person or whatever it's all just been my opinion but most of the time it's based on on facts and evidence and and stuff that either from competing against them that I realized like this is this is a strange situation or you know obviously people talk behind the scenes so maybe I know somebody who knows somebody who knows that she's on steroids you know Mm. that kind of way it is a little bit hearsay but uh, no smoke without fire usually but I'm just not the type to be to be starting things for for no reason. I've yeah. always kind of tried to respect the other person as a competitor and an athlete, and uh, be grateful for the opportunity to compete against somebody because it's it's a sport where you need a body. You know what I mean? Mm. And for so many fights in my early career, it was so difficult to get opponents. 
had so many people pull out short notice had so many people torn up and miss weight uh, just all sorts of crazy stuff happened so like by the time I got to a later stage of my career where everybody was showing up I was just so happy that they were there like I was like oh my god I had like thank you thank you so much like at the way ends I'd be like shaking their hand and hugging them thanks so much for showing up and they're looking at me like what do you mean thanks for showing up like you're in the UFC of course I'm going to show up but, yeah. yeah but this one girl five years ago she just didn't turn <laughs> up at the weigh ins and I don't know what happened and I had no fight after doing a camp so yeah. thank you thank you for being yeah, here yeah. like so yeah probably uh, Jesus Ash has no food in her she's even actually that that UFC uh, weigh in like the biggest smile on my face I had the weigh-ins like I'm squared up to the girl I'm just like big cheesy grin (laughs) people are like what the hell would she smiling for I'm like this is the best thing ever (laughs) I'm going to go and get to do my favourite thing tomorrow in front of all the people that I love and care about like this is amazing this is like the best day ever for me she's crazy like she's not supposed to be angry I'm like I'm not angry at all I just well, can't wait to it was the best she'd ever looked at a, a, a weigh-in I thought yeah yeah definitely the best yeah. shape I've ever been yeah. in for, for a weigh-in for sure yeah you know when um, you know just going back to the with uh, Professor Healy um, when you were retiring do you know the hemorrhage that they found did he say that that was caused by fighting at all uh, it, because of the area of the brain where it was and like I said I, I really haven't uh, very techy. It wasn't on the surface, and apparently, surface hemorrhages are a little bit less dangerous and a little bit less complicated, like the way they they heal and stuff. So the only way I can describe it is if like my head was like an apple, <laughs> like so it was kind of like down closer to the core of the apple where I had the small hemorrhage, and that's why one of the reasons why there needed to be so many scans because obviously when the MRI or whatever, they have to it kind of dissects in layers. Mm. so they needed to go down a few layers so whatever he saw maybe in the first scan it wasn't in depth enough so he had to do a few more to make sure what he was looking at so just because of where it was um, it's a little bit more complicated when it's kind of inside the brain as a hemorrhage rather than being on the the surface that's the way he's explained it to me like I said he's the professor I just (laughs) Uh, precarious hit, hitting in the head is bad for you right now <laughs> yeah, you, you, that's you, all you yeah, need to yeah, know exactly yeah. 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 dumb it down please yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> okay ash no fight ash no fight <laughs> 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 okay ash no fight <laughs> sad face is that what you got you got your family ash no fight <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly How did maybe they... there was some side effects of that yeah. ash no fight <laughs> <laughs> how did they react um, everybody was kind of just happy that I was okay and, and that th- things hadn't gone badly wrong for me and I didn't end up you know relying on them for the rest of my life or anything like that or yeah. that I hadn't lost my personality or something yeah yeah something had happened and obviously like they felt bad for me and like it was actually what my sister said to me because I was really like obviously everything was taken off of Connor like financially and stuff like that everything and he was making a whole bunch of money and I was like I was in debt because I had like trained for a fight that didn't happen, you know, a couple of months before. And like what I'd always do is I'd always borrow money off people, like, my dad or whatever, like, yeah, yeah, and I'm going to pay for the fight and I'll pay you back and then grand, like, and then obviously you don't get paid all that well for UFC, but it'd keep you going for another few months and then whatever, if you're doing PTs or whatever was going on, you'd have a little bit to keep you going. And then obviously, like I said, I borrowed money for a fight that didn't happen. And then I retired. So then I was like, oh, I just owe a whole bunch of money now. Like, so I was a bit like, oh, shit, like, this is terrible. And, like, I didn't make any money from this and whatever. And my sister was just like, I mean, not everything can be measured in money. Like, yeah, yeah. think of everything that you've done and everything that you've achieved and everything that you've you've gotten from this. Like, even just in terms of how I was as a kid. Like, I was, like, a super shy, super quiet kid. Uh, loved MMA, obviously, just started off doing karate and kind of progressed from there and then like everything that MMA gave me in terms of con- uh, like confidence friendships I made all that kind of stuff I was like I'd be a completely different human 
if I hadn't discovered MMA okay. because it just molded me so much mm-hmm. as a person. So then I was like, um, oh, like when you put it like that, and I started to think about it, I was like, yeah, like you, she couldn't pay for everything that I've I've had, you know. And there's guys out there, you know, who less experience and probably less deserving of the money that they're they're on for the in terms of work that they've put in, but they'll never get what I got out of it, mm-hmm. or like even things like being a pioneer, or like one of the guys in the gym, Kieran Mark, he always calls me Ash the Force. Because it's just like anything that you could have done, you don't. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, first ever Irish world champion, first ever female here, first ever this, first ever that, black first belt, ever black belt, belt, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. He's like, as the first. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you're like, all right, well, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't buy being the first at something. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. You just have to turn up, show up. And put the, you, you put the were, you, in, like, that wasn't your goal either, to be the first this, first that. No, no, oh. I just loved it. You, you loved know what it, I mean? yeah, exactly, and, yeah. Like pretty much everybody told me, like, oh, I wasn't going to go anywhere with it. Like girls doing MMA, like what are yeah. you talking about? You're crazy, go home, you know? I was like, oh, right, well, I'll just keep showing up and I'll just keep training and whatever happens, happens. Okay, well, we might let you fight, but you'll have to do X with it. Yep, okay, let's get it. Go, go ahead, get it done. Okay, what do I have to do next? Okay, what do I have to do? And I was doing it with a smile on my face and just putting the, the hard work in. And then I was like, oh, okay, you're going to be on this. So it was like the first televised female fight in Wembley. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. just random stuff that you were like, just just because I was happy, happy doing what I was doing. Yeah. I just torn up, be happy, go home. Do it all the same again. Ash happy. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ash happy, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's just, it was all just, and it, it was so, a lot of stuff happened so young for me that I had no comprehension of how big things were as they were happening. You know what I mean? I just turn up and do it. I wouldn't even be, be thinking. I'd be like, I just enjoy doing this and that's why I do it. Like, it was never, and I know some people ha- have that idea today, like, oh, I want to be on telly and I want to be doing this and I want to be doing that and I want everybody, like, follow me on social media and I want everybody to know my name and all. It was, like, never in my head at all. Like, it was actually weird because it's only in the last kind of couple of years where I kind of start to enjoy the crowds and stuff uh, at fights because I always said, look, I don't care about, like, people watching or not watching. I just want to know for myself how, how good I am and, and I just wanted to compete. So my ideal scenario for an MMA fight would be to have like whoever the best female fighter in the world in my weight class was at that time, to have me and her show up in the gym and basically have a fight in the gym with like hardly anybody there. But like I'd know I won. Like even yeah. if nobody ever knew about that, yeah. like I'd be happy with that. Yeah. And it was only towards the end that I kind of started to kind of embrace the fact that there was going to be crowds there and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And then obviously when... I retired then fully then I, I, I kind of missed that a little bit I missed the buzz of like having a crowd and people cheering and the walkout and all that kind of stuff and that, and that's why I had that that pro grappling match obviously like the IBJJF rules is just on a mat and it's a lot more kind of uh, subdued it's not the same so like the pro grappling stuff I'm going to do a little bit of that just to keep that buzz going because yeah. it's enjoyable you know it's yeah, good fun going out there just going out and having a, having a bit of a, a scuffle a bit of competition with somebody else getting a bit of nervous energy and and whatever, like obviously, I really enjoyed that kind of adrenaline rush of competing. So yeah. nice to be doing a little bit. I still like just on a, a different scale. Like the way I was describing it to Chris Fields, I was like, I feel like I used to be a sprinter, and like you just go and you're, just, you know, balls to the wall and you just go all out. And now they said, well, you can't sprint anymore. But would you be interested in doing the speed walking? <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of like. <laughs> You're, you're going and you're trying to give it loads but you still can't give it quite what you wanted to give it because you're used to sprinting like, you still have a bit of crack Classic. doing it the state of them doing that we all know what it is do you ever see the episode no. of uh, Malcolm in the Middle where Hal does it no. it's hilarious man do you ever watch Malcolm in the Middle I, not, not religiously but I, I did watch it yeah oh man it's an episode where uh, 
have Brian, Brian Cranston. He gets all the gear and all. He has like the helmet and everything. Yeah. And he's in the park and he sees another speedwalker. <laughs> they start having these races. <laughs> but Hal finds out he's cheating. <laughs> no way. It's deadly. Um, we, we mentioned Dan Healy a little bit. And kind of one of your sort of things that you're doing now since stopping is you're, you're involved with Safe MMA. Um, tell us a little bit about that and particularly kind of like what they're doing because the, the progress that you've made is just, it's brilliant like. Yes, so. So, so basically Safe MMA was set up in 2013. It was all just a bit random how it happened. So uh, basically there was a seminar on boxing in the brain, boxing and the brain, like mm. how the the brain is affected by boxing and Dan presented that seminar in the Royal College of Surgeons and SPG were invited along uh, so I went along at the time met Professor Healy turned out he was actually a, a fan of mine and he knew me and afterwards we had a little bit of a chat and he was like oh I have a few things in mind um, I wonder would you be interested and whatever I was like yeah 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 because I always felt like the safety standards in MMA were really dodgy, you know, even for me. Like, I love the sport so much. And That's just regional in Ireland, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Ireland, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the States were, were well ahead of us at the time, but in Ireland, you know, there was just, like, the medical standard was terrible, you know. You'd have some, like, 12-year-old St. John's ambulance guy, you know, looking after somebody who got knocked out after a fight. You're like, this, is, this, this can't be right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But especially at that stage, I wasn't really mature enough to to think of the long-term effects of something like that. I was just like, I want to compete, yeah, get in there, fight, whatever, you know, I'll worry about that later, you know, it'll never happen to me, I'm fine. Yeah. And then obviously there was a few incidents with different guys in the team, just where things had gone wrong because the medical care afterwards wasn't so good. So when Dan was saying, like, you know, what do you think of the, the medical care in Ireland? And I was like, oh, it's not great, like, you know, but... Uh. And then uh, he was saying, would you be interested in setting, setting up something, you know, to, to get along with the safety standards? And we were looking into setting up something for Ireland, but then Safe and May in the UK was already set up and they seemed to have a really good framework in place and they were affiliated to Harley Street Medical. They had all these top sports doctors, like, like uh, Dr. Mike Loosemore. He's like with the British Boxing Guys and he's also with the Commonwealth Games team and all this, like really high-level doctors. So... Um, uh, Dan asked me to kind of be the face of Safe MMA and be the one who like working on the ground with the fighters and the coaches because I, I'm around the sport so long and uh, I have such a good relationship with pretty much everybody in this sport in the country and just I have that reputation you know what I mean uh, I wouldn't be nobody would see me as like looking to like make a quick book off the sport or you know like if somebody comes in from the outside trust like <clears throat> yeah exactly yeah so then we asked the UK guys if it would be okay to use their database because the most expensive thing with everything with Safe MMA is securely storing your data. So basically, when your medical files come to Safe MMA, they have to be completely encrypted so that nobody will ever see what's happened with you. Like in certain cases, like and it's only been a small number, but like people have been retired due to having like bloodborne infections. So if somebody had that, maybe they don't want to disclose it to anybody except their close friends and family. So when that goes into the database. Like, nobody will ever be able to get near that. That's, like, super high-level encryption. But it's crazy expensive. It's something like 5,000 a gigabyte or something for a certain amount of months. It's, like, crazy money for storing that. So that's what we needed. We needed to make sure that these files weren't going to ever get into anybody else's hands. Or So we asked the Safe MMA UK guys if we could use their database. And then it, it eventually ended up that we ended up becoming Safe MMA Ireland, the sister, the sister branch of Safe MMA UK. And Yanni, who's absolutely fantastic, um, he's the admin guy for Safe Main. Now he works like literally seems like twenty four hours a day to make sure that everybody is always cleared for their fights and whatever. If you send in your stuff in time, like Yanni, you'll be one a.m. making sure that's all processed and everything for for you to be able to compete. 
So that was great. It, like we're safe and May, we were able to use the database to set up first of all the just the biannual blood work, the medical and the pre and post fight medicals were the important things as well because what was happening a bunch of the time was guys would have something terrible happen in the fight. And they just wander off. They just wander off home. They wouldn't get checked. Nobody. Whereas a lot of the shows now, they have to definitely do the post fight medical. But your post fight medical would be with your purse. So if you didn't get your medical done, you didn't get paid. Right. You know, obviously nobody's going to go off without the paycheck, yeah. or very unlikely. So that was great. And then um, it was it was always happening in the background that we wanted to go to the next level and get the MRIs done and all that kind of stuff. But it was really badly received at the very beginning with the Irish say. guys because of uh, because of money. Like they couldn't understand why they had to pay this registration fee, where this registration fee was going. Like people were accusing me of taking money and all at one stage, and I literally didn't. Money never touched my hands ever. Like it all. I seen went you having to justify justify your position more than once oh, like yeah. that week of when that gathering was happening because yeah. there's all the clubs are like oh geez this is going to ruin the MMA in the country and yeah exactly and the thing is people didn't realise that there was a lot of stuff going on in the background you know a lot of the martial arts associations they don't really like MMA you know the traditional martial arts guys and they would be very happy to see it fall apart and not work out obviously the government just don't want any hassle or any headache so if they think that getting rid of something or banning it They'd be like, all right, well, if it doesn't happen, then we can't have any problems with it. Like, if this was stuff that was going on in the background anyway that weren't, wasn't known on, to the Irish general MMA mm-hmm. public or whatever. But, like, obviously Dan's involvement with Safe MMA and he was getting emails and he was getting letters from, like, the Sports Council and all asking for his position on MMA and this kind of... And as he said himself, like, at the very beginning before Safe MMA was kind of in place, he couldn't justify to them that it was a safe sport because yeah. the standards were non-existent. So it was only after Safe MMA came into play then that uh, he was actually able to go to the sports camp and say, look, you know, they're really making an effort and we're going to try this and we're going to try that. It was just at the beginning, like I said, financially, it was the, the worst thing. People were like, I'm not paying for this. And we were always looking to get the MRIs, but we just thought it was too big of a jump too soon. Yeah. Just because people were, we were still having trouble. Why do I need a blood test? Well, you don't want to end up with like hepatitis or something like that, which is like, e- like a, not easily passed. It's not, none of these bloodborne infections are easily passed. But if there's a small chance, you know, why even take that chance? You yeah. know, that something is going to, harm you for the rest of your life when it's you know 50 quid for a blood test or, or whatever you know what I mean you wouldn't go and play soccer without a pair of football boots so why would you not you know what I mean it's just like it should be part of your toolkit or whatever part of your, your gear bag for going it's, to compete it was fighter safety though like, yeah exactly that was paramount yeah. and that's it, it was all in the wake of uh, y'all kind of Carvalho's passing yeah, as well yeah it was actually Carvalho, the, yeah. the MRI stuff was actually in the works before that Anyways, people are like, oh, well, you know, that, that was the catalyst. And I was like, it was and it wasn't. It was always working in the background. But then when that happened, which was such a, tra- a tragic incident, people had no choice but to agree with us. Yeah. Because we were like, ah, it wouldn't happen. Oh, you, what are yeah. the chances and all this kind of rubbish? You know what I mean? Where it was like, no, here's... It your argument. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a yeah, really. And I think it scared people as well. Because like the thing that bugged me the most was coaches who had a problem with it. Because coaches are making decisions on behalf of young men. You know what I mean? It reminded me kind of like those old rich guys sending guys to war. You know what I mean? Asher, well, it'll never affect me. Like, nobody's going to be hitting me in the head, like, but sending, like, some 17-year-old. And that was even with uh, IMA and uh, Safe MMA, you know, no more teen MMA. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because, like, with all the studies on CTE and uh, second impact syndrome and concussion and all this kind of stuff, like, it's accumulation. So there's no point in you being 14 years of age, getting hit in the head, you know, you're still going to be getting hit in the head at 24, 25 if you stay around. That's 10 years of accumulation of shots. You don't need to be doing that. You know no. what I mean? 
so that's why it was made that you know you have to be an adult to compete in in amateur mma now so that like everything has just really jumped like exponentially ahead of what it was you know even five years ago and then a lot of the other stuff that got brought in was the cage side uh medical team because uh i think it was the which fight was it i can't remember i can't remember the name but it was a fight in the uk anyway a boxing match and one of the guys actually ended up with brain damage after the fight but it wasn't brain damage due to the impacts taken in the fight it was brain damage due to the lack of oxygen to his brain because when he got knocked out his body shut down and oh, he wasn't, yeah, I remember that thing, he wasn't yeah. in control of his own airway. Yeah. So that's what caused the, the brain damage. So basically now uh, every safe MMA show in Ireland, and if you're not a safe MMA show, you're not going to be allowed to go. So uh, every show in Ireland, there'll be somebody there who's an ER doctor or an ER paramedic or whatever who's physically capable and has the equipment to control an airway if somebody gets knocked out and, and is unable to do that for themselves. So the medical uh, team that's cage side now is like the same as what you'd get on a UFC <laughs> show in, in, in Vegas. Like it's really, it's brilliant, it's yeah. really high so level. So Bam and Bellator, when they're over here, they have to go yep. under that. Very yep. good. Cage Legacy are under a great show. They really got on board with all the safety standards. So they have everything in place as well. Now. I heard your mom... Pieter, is it, that runs Cage Legacy? Uh, I heard he's doing, running a great shop there. Yeah, well, Cage Legacy are just doing a, a great job. Yeah, yeah. like they, they were one of the few promotions that are actually willing to, to put in the work. And like I said, any show that's going to go ahead now in Ireland is going to have these standards. So I know uh, Battlezone and a few other shows are coming up later on in the year and they'll all have this. And are fighters more responsive now as time goes on? Or? Uh, I, I think it's just becoming the norm. I think at the beginning it was like you had a choice whether to fight with it or not. Yeah. And now... Now you have to. Now yeah. you have to, so... So you have to spend the 80, whatever, 100 euro for the yeah, stand. Yeah, and, and like, to be honest, for your, your first amateur fight, like it, I can see from some of the guys' point of view, like it, it is a little bit of cash or whatever, but like... It's your safety. Yeah, yeah. but it, unless you're in like some really, really dire, poor situation, you know... Like where you probably shouldn't be competing in MMA at all, you should probably be looking at doing something else with your life. Like you should be able to afford these these things. And when you look at other sports, or you know, even how much people spend on a night out drinking or whatever, and that's that that was one of the comical things for me because it was guys that I clearly could see on their Facebook page pictures of them out with twenty acre bombs on the table in front of them, complaining about the fifty quid for the blood work, and I'm like, yeah. few yes, a few less Jaeger bombs or. Maybe don't buy those brand name shorts or, yeah, you know... For one month for, yeah, for one exactly, week. Or, yeah, and you'll be able to afford it. It's like yeah. priorities. Like, what are you choosing to do? And I know a lot of gyms and coaches and stuff are ta- like, talking about setting up funds for their guys and, you know, all right, well, I'll put a tenner a week in, you know, away. And then, like, somebody who really is stuck then at the end of the year, you know, there'll be a little a little pot there to help towards their 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 safe MMA fees or whatever their medicals and all the kinds of and a lot of doctors were doing them for free and that's one of the the big things that's been so good with safe MMA Ireland like there's a ton of companies like Code Blue and stuff like Glenn Ellis has been fantastic at just getting guys in and appointments like you know some doctor who happens to know a little bit about MMA or like the sport or whatever and he's willing to give up his time and yeah. energy to to look after the guys so that's really what's made it work and they haven't been as successful in that kind of way in the UK and getting that many people on board who are working pro bono and I think that's why we've kind of taken that little extra jump like so anybody who gets cleared for safe MMA in the UK is cleared to safe MMA standard but they call the Irish safe MMA plus you mentioned um things like you know CTE second impact syndrome concussion and all that you were at a talk Bennett and Malu done over here as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was on the panel. You were on, yeah, sorry, you were on the panel, yeah. He's a very interesting character. I was going to say, what was that like? Because, I mean, like, people, if you don't know the name Bennett and Malu, the the movie Concussion with Will Smith 
is basically like yeah, his, his yeah. life he, work or he's, whatever. He's very, very interesting. Uh, he's a really nice guy. He's almost preacher-like in, in how he kind of carries himself. So he spoke mm. for about 45 minutes. Um, just mentioned a little bit like what the movie Concussion is based on, how the NFL tried to cover up his research and discredit him and that kind of thing, saying that basically CTE wasn't actually a condition. And so, so he discovered it. Uh, so he has these really like strong opinions on any kind of impact to the head at all. So yeah. he really doesn't endorse any sports except like track and field. That's kind of his thing. Anything where you you can be hit in the head, he he doesn't he doesn't endorse at all. Obviously, there's there's risk factors in pretty much any sport, even the likes of children playing soccer and stuff like that. Because developmentally, especially um, you know ten or so, a lot of children don't have very good spatial awareness, so it tends to not be that they obviously head the ball because that's not allowed in the rules anymore but they tend to run into each other a lot you know yeah. they're not aware of what's going on they they clash and they clash with the posts and this kind of thing so he wouldn't even endorse that so there's a lot of things that that he said that i was like that's a bit much you know i just don't think it can turn into like a nanny state where everybody's been told what to do and adults can't make decisions for themselves like mm. it's not like people are going out playing russian roulette or something it's not yeah. that extreme that you need to take the gun out of people's hands but if people want to go out and play soccer or people want to go out and play tennis or whatever it is like something where there's a small risk that you're going to get hit with a ball like that has to be up to them ultimately but I did agree with him that a lot of those things where you're getting hit in the head it should be an adult decision because knowing what I know now and having the hindsight of like a a long career behind me and seeing guys in the gym now training and stuff and like I'm in a better position to be able to say you know you shouldn't do this or you should do that or you know you only have one brain so I definitely think it needs to be an adult decision I don't think you should be deciding at 10 that you want to get punched in the head repeatedly for the next eight years. I think that needs to be restricted and training methods and coaching and all that kind of stuff needs to be altered so that it's not a case of, like even with amateur boxing and stuff like that, you know, they've, they've proven that the headgear doesn't really do anything and it's not so much they actually... don't wear them anymore, don't they? Yeah, they took, the, took yeah. them out because it was proven that the, they don't really do anything. But, you know, even if you're a 10, 12, 14-year-old amateur boxer and if you think of accumulation of shots in the gym or if you're a kickboxer, mostly with MMA and it's mostly how we we coach, especially out in swords and I've seen it in pretty much all the SPGs, the, the standard for teens is that they focus a lot more on grappling. So they'll be very grappling, heavy training. Any striking that they do will usually be stuff like pad work, bag work, or they'll use schooling. So like they might use like mitts and they can punch each other's mitts or whatever, but they they rarely spar at all. Mm. Uh, but definitely no head contact, so they rarely body spar, but then sometimes sometimes we will let them do that just because it's a little bit more fun for them, but just to keep the, the head impact at a minimum, yeah. especially at that age. And then they can decide at 18, then if they want to go in and have an MMA like fight, the, but at that stage they're probably going to be blue, purple, belt in jiu-jitsu, and they'll be, yeah. they'll be fine to compete then, you know? The, the headgear thing is something that frightens me. If I see young lads going onto a rugby pitch with headgear and I'm always a bit kind of like oh no why like do you know what I mean does it like whatever like somebody who's in a scrum and young lads don't even scrum fully so I, I don't get why they, they're wearing it but there's kids who are running onto rugby pitches wearing you know scrum caps Yeah, but they believe it's a helmet that they can yeah, like it's like, just use their and, and that was weapon. one of the arguments with the NFL as well they were saying because people are using the head to block yeah. they were saying would people stop doing that if we took helmets out altogether because people think that this helmet is going to stop the brain injury, it's going to stop the impact or whatever, when it's actually not. Like, you know, especially when you use, like, the the egg in a jar analogy or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just like, okay, so now you have two jars (laughs) around the one egg. It's not making any difference, really. What's the egg in the jar? So basically, like, a a boiled egg or something in a jar, and if you start to shake it and shake it and shake it and shake it and shake it, 
it's just going to smash it's going to be yeah. all mush by the yeah, end of it oh, just yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. like but that's the way your brain floats around in your, your skull basically so a little impact is fine I'm going to do that egg in a jar thing yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a few different methods like yeah, the egg in a jar was the one that I thought but like you basically put anything squishy in a jar and shake it around that'll and eventually yeah, yeah gets damaged yeah, yeah. and, and they, they discovered as well with a lot of the things with any kind of helmets or with boxing it's not actually like the kind of shots that land on the front of the face and stuff are the ones that are causing the brain injuries it's the rotational ones because going back to that egg and energy like the the jar spins around kind of and the egg doesn't have time to catch up on it so the egg kind of slams into the side yeah so it's all the rotational forces so rotation to the left to the right or like whiplash backwards they're, mad, they're all the ones that cause the, the major brain injuries in the brain trauma more so than like the impacts to the front of the face or like forehead or cheeks or, or anything yeah. like that it's the rotations of the jaw and the, the it's mad how he doesn't approve of most kind of yeah he, he just seems very extreme like there was yeah. a lot of stuff like I said the 18 yeah I agree with um, he, he's quite religious so he his reference is kind of like uh, love your brother like yourself type type vibe and that's that's his his style of medicine you know yeah, like yeah. oh well I wouldn't like my children to be doing this and I, like when I look at you I see myself so I know what damage this can do to you if you do this so I don't think you should be doing that but like I said the, like the benefits of a lot of sports far outweigh the negatives in terms of injury, injury like, yeah, yeah. like if you play like adult soccer and you play that two or three times a week you know but you don't have anything else exercise wise that you're doing you know but then you stop because you're afraid that somebody's going to kick the ball at your head or you're going to heady the ball too hard or whatever the case may be like it it's definitely going to be far more detrimental to your health yeah. to quit than it would to possibly get hit in the head once yeah. a year by a ball yeah. you know the, the football one is one that I, I think is mad as well like there's a UK based doctor Dr. Willie Stewart who has done he was one of the guys that worked a lot with uh, I'm going to say Jeff Astle but I might be wrong on that oh that's right yeah Jeff Astle yeah uh, Jeff Astle, who was an English World Cup winner, who had CT basically, and he died pretty young. And um, Doctor Stewart is one of them. He, he's again. I, I don't think he's hard, as hardline as Doctor Amalu is in terms of saying like, "Oh no, just don't do that sport. No, you should just you know go for a light jog kind of thing." But he's when it comes to header and footballs, he's like a hundred percent. No. Do not like it should not happen in any game, whether you're an adult, whether you're a child, whether yeah. you're, he's like it's a projectile being fired at your head essentially. Yeah. And you're yeah. putting your head there, you know. Yeah, like, it's no, crazy. actually I actually think I would have to agree, especially with the the pace that some of those balls are going up when guys are, are heading it. Like it's yeah. and uh, obviously back to the kind of World Cup era, like the balls were made of uh, much heavier leather and yeah, yeah. and they reckon Yeah, they were reckon that there was a number of players that would have played in that era that probably would end up with CTE because of the the weight of the ball. So um, I don't know what way they'd have to change the rules. And like I said, they've definitely removed it for children. I think up yeah. to maybe 13 or 14 or something like that year, you're not allowed to heady the ball till after that. But what's the point? Like, it's not really, it do, it's not going to change the game all that much to remove mm. it. You know what I mean? Like MMA, you say, okay, well, we're going to take out punches to the head. It's a completely different sport then. But if you take out heading the ball in soccer, yeah, like you wouldn't see it all that often in a game but the impacts that do happen are generally very very hard yeah. impacts if somebody's kicked the ball full force from you know from quite a close distance to you and then you stick your head in front of it like that doesn't make it doesn't yeah. make sense would you, would you say they could ban it in football would they ban heading I don't I don't think they would personally speaking I'd, I'd be in favour of it like but I don't I don't think they would now football's very they're not they don't seem very proactive about kind of changing things. I mean, look how long it took them to bring in video technology 
and it's still not fully in. No, and it was brutal in the convention. You know what I mean? They, they just they seem a little bit resistant. It's kind of that whole change is bad kind yeah, of attitude, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? There's a lot of sports, I think, that, you know, they're established, and especially when they're going a little bit more corporate, you know, I think they find it harder to, to change whatever's going on in the background, you know. Yeah. The, the rugby guys, you know, at the at the, the panel discussion with uh, Bennett O'Malley, like the rugby guys really had a, like, they got roasted, you know what I mean, just yeah. about really? everything that's gone. Like, they, like it seems like they've done a lot of good work, you know, with the concussion protocols and all the kind of stuff, but one of the representatives there, I think his name was Rod McLaughlin, yeah. and he was kind of in a little bit denial, like, basically trying to say that, you know, there's no evidence between... Uh, concussion and CTE, which is kind of just a play on words because concussion isn't is. isn't the main thing. It's yeah. head in, like brain impact, like any impact yeah. to the head, any head trauma will eventually result in CTE. So concussion, no concussion. You can have somebody who's never been concussed in their life, but has taken so much like repeated head trauma that they will end up with CTE. So mm. to just use that term, so, oh, there's no link between, or oh, there's no scientific proof or there's no medical papers it's just it's just yeah. it's when, just a play on words like it's yeah exactly just a cop out yeah when you guys like Barry O'Driscoll, Dr. Barry O'Driscoll stepping down from world rugby though because he believes that they're not doing enough to protect players then you kind of have to say all right that's a medical professional who has said here's a list of recommendations none of them are being enacted why am I even here yeah, yeah when exactly. you see something like that happen you have to kind of question it and say yeah. like okay yeah something has to give like is that the Brian? Brian's uncle oh I yeah and just like the like even the players like the players were surveyed and I think it was something like sixty percent of the players surveyed yeah uh, said that they were worried about brain injury. So Johnny Johnny oh, I want to say Johnny Beatty but I don't think that's the name <coughs> Scottish player he only retired in the last couple of years he'll like he's done interviews with BBC and everything he's done a documentary about him and uh, he's talking about how I think he said he had maybe six or seven concussions in his career um, and he's talking about how every so often he'll be just doing something. But he'll just suddenly just completely forget where he is and what he's doing. Yeah. And during the interview, he, he has one of them moments where he just kind of stops talking. And you can see his face kind of going, who are these people? Like, oh, and the interviewer actually says to him, he says, are you okay? And he's like, I'm having a moment. And it's like, it's weird to watch. Yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's but like the that's... movie Concussion. Did you, did you watch Concussion? Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. seen the movie. Yeah, and uh, as the well as... putting the teeth uh, back together with Superglue yeah. in the car. Yeah, he's just freaking out. Just doesn't know what's going just on. Just doesn't know yeah. what's going on. And like because of uh, some of the stuff that I've done with Professor Healy, like he done the box and the brain one, and then he done one after that, which was um, generally injuries in MMA. So they had a couple of specialists on speaking about different kind of things, but he also showed quite a bit about CTE and the various stages of it. And uh, he had patients' permission from some of his patients in his time in London uh, to show footage of their their treatment and stuff, you know. And there was yeah. a guy who was a boxer. Uh, probably in his late 20s and he was in like stage one of CTE and just basic stuff like um, just his eye movement was just slower than normal you know tr- like tra- tracing the pen yeah. his balance w- wasn't as stable as somebody should have been in that situation uh, one of his hands kind of just hung a little bit while he walked while the other one moved so obviously his natural movement was probably two hands oh moving God. at the same time but stuff that had just and he was still competing but Professor Healy was still competing. Yeah, diagnosing him as like your stage one CTE, like, and then it you goes, can't reverse it though, can't you? No, no you can't. No. Like, it's basically um, from the impacts, the the, the protein in your brain, I think it's called tau protein, kind of wraps itself around the fibers in your brain, and then just causes them to, to malfunction. Yeah. So that that never goes away. They so can't regenerate. It, like yeah, yeah, it just builds and builds and builds. So the more impact, the more yeah. this tau protein builds up and. 
and eventually the brain as well yeah like the involuntary movements by the time it got to stage four there was a guy who was in his 60s who was also a boxer it's not i'm not slating boxing or whatever any sport like there'll be rugby guys there'll be nfl guys there'll be mma guys there'll be equestrian people they're all down the line you know it's just early days for some sports but um, this guy had no control over his bodily functions. He was lying in the bed and he was just having like these really, really violent spasms. Jesus. And he was trying to get them to stop, but he couldn't. And he was saying to his wife, I'm exhausted, but I can't stop. So very, like absolutely like legs in the air, arms in the air, just no control over what was going on. And eventually they would just stop. And that was crazy. Just wasn't functioning. Like, and this was like, in the sixties. Like, you know, my parents yeah. are in their sixties. They're they're pretty healthy, functioning, moving around. I'm sure a lot of people yeah. listen, think yeah. of sixty, and they think healthy. But this man, he looked like a, a shell of a man by the time, and shouldn't have been. You know, considering yeah. he probably lived his entire life as a boxer. You know, eating well, yeah. looking after his body, conditioning himself, all the kind of stuff. And you know, obviously done no good for him in the end because of the CTE. Were you ever con- concussed? Um, I, I think maybe once. I've been concussed, but uh, I'm not sure. Like there was, it was actually after that UFC Dublin fight, um, for the week after that, I felt really kind of unsteady, and I was like, oh, I feel like a bit of a wibbly wobbly wonder. Don't really know what's really? going on here. Yeah, I took a really bad up kick in that in that fight uh, into the face, and I took a really uh, hard knee to the face. Uh, at the start of the fourth round, I think I think I just ran straight into a knee when I was looking for the takedown, and I actually I broke my nose and I broke my nose really badly. I ended up having to get surgery and stuff after I couldn't breathe properly. So I think it was kind of that. That was probably the only time that I'd ever said I had like concussion symptoms I like for the most part I sparred pretty smart in the gym and I had like a, a coach looking after me who was making sure that I wasn't sparring too hard and the guys weren't like trying to murder me or whatever yeah so but yeah but obviously I was still getting hit in the head it's the kind of sport you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. have to get hit in the head sometimes like but I, I have had concussion and I've never done MMA you've had concussion I've been concussed have you yeah how and I fractured my skull as well Oh, I remember you fractured a skull. Yeah, that's what I got it at the same time. Like the two of them go hand in hand, I'd imagine. I suppose so. Yeah. You hear all sorts yeah. of crazy stories, like people banging yeah. their head off shelves or. Off you did car. it off a bouncy castle. Fell off bouncy castle. Yeah, it's, it's weird, but that's a kind of like back to that. You can't. How are you going to protect everybody from themselves? Like, yeah. like Ben O'Malley would want to. Band Band bouncy castles. castles. Exactly. I'm in oh. favour of that. <laughs> <laughs> ben, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> um, Ash, we're running out of time with you. Um, but uh, before we let you go... Already? Well, yeah, I know. Quick hour. I feel like we, we um, got real serious there. We need yeah, to think about... I was going to say, yeah. We're all happier. doom and gloom and we're all going to die brain injuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got out of bed this morning. No! Mellow definitely is anyway. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, you're a bit. You know what I mean? Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would have that beard voluntary. That's all I'm saying. Like, what? What? It's an extra fist. Look at us. Ganging up me now, he's there. It's dense. <laughs> dense it is, man. Is that, is that torn uh, up nearly already? Nearly, yeah. Jesus wept. Um, Where does it go? So on, on to slightly happier things, then. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you had your, your, your grapple, your roll around. grappling. Yeah. Are you going to... Are you going to compete more in jiu-jitsu as well? Yeah, I'm going to definitely do more jiu-jitsu. Two questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's grand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to do as many of those kind of pro grappling matches as I can. I might look to do something like Polaris or one of those oh, deadly. shows yeah. in the UK. I think I need to... Well, I don't think I need to. Maybe it's just my... my like, I need to build my profile a little bit more. I'm like, eh, I'm a former UFC fighter. I think that's a big enough <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what are you on about? You need to stop with the modesty. Yeah. Right? You Jesus are Ash the first. Yeah. Right? I'll be like, lads, match on that now. Yeah, Ash the go. first. Story and all, want a match? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so matches. I loved it, and uh, because uh, my match in the Irish Open that I had earlier on this year, I won my spot 
in the Europeans in Portugal in January. So the Europeans uh, is basically the second second biggest jiu-jitsu competition in the world. So I'm going to go over and compete at that. So it'll be my first time competing in the black belt division at an IBJJF tournament. Deadly. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to try really hard. But like I said, it's, it's just a slightly different vibe just because it's on mats and it's it's, it's not that kind of crowd, not that kind of high energy. It's a lot more subdued. So I'll definitely do some of those programs. So, so for something like that then, like the Euros and the black belt kind of category, who do you train with? Like, um, I'll train with whoever I There's get not many hand. black belts in the country, though, is uh, there? No, uh, female D- black belts. Do you have to train with black belts? Uh, no, 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 you wouldn't have to. You can just roll with anybody. And, and the thing is, especially because of being a woman, you're you're slightly weaker. You don't have that testosterone injection. Like, uh, there'd be a lot of guys who would be maybe say blue or purple belt that'd be at a decent level that I'd get really good rolls with because they have that just a bit of extra physicality that, that I'd really kind of struggle with them rolling like so um yeah i won't be struggling for for training partners you know what i mean and especially coming up to it you know i can just have an open call be like what happens is like when we're in ireland we're all kind of competing against each other but when we tend to go compete on the international stage we become team ireland so exactly yeah so if i need to go somewhere else i need to go find some some girls to train or whatever and i I think i've done a really good job over the last while kind of building a really nice atmosphere particularly in my gym and swords but also like within the kind of irish jiu-jitsu community like uh, i used to run a lot of like free ladies open mats and stuff to get girls in because i just my attitude has always been with mma like if you're looking at being the best in ireland like you're looking at too small a pond like that's who wants to be the big fish in the small pond? You mm. want to be doing well internationally, and I, I, that's the way I kind of look at it in general. So I'd have no problem getting some girls over or asking them to come and train or, or pottering down to, to their gym and, and get some training in with them as well. So I'll need to work hard for you, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not there just to take part. I'm not going to show up just to make up the numbers. Like That's not my attitude to life. So obviously going to the Europeans, hoping that I'm going to come back with a, a gold medal, you know, so so that's the, that's the plan. That's in January? Yeah, January. So I've lots of time to train for it, but... That's the way it is. I, I really need to put that that work in. You know what I mean? Like, um, is that gi or no gi? Uh, gi, gi jiu jitsu. So the, a lot of my career, I would have spent doing a lot of no gi for for MMA, and definitely, obviously, over the last couple of years, putting the gi back on and working working hard at that. So <laughs> it's the first time yeah. I asked that question without being a child. <laughs> and yet, you, 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 and, you, and, you, and you bottled it. <laughs> I, I bottled it. Yeah, <laughs> you almost don't. You almost went the full thing with being an actual adult, and then you called yourself out on it. <laughs> The kimono. Yeah, I, I apologise. <laughs> Absolute right. camera. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love the key. It's, you okay? it's <laughs> like uh, the horse racing there last month. There was a commentator and he's like, oh yeah, Catherine Kelly, she loves a good ride. <laughs> and the horse racing. <laughs> I chuckled chuck like a little child. Doesn't, doesn't make a lot to tickle you, does it? No. no. Very immature at times. Yeah. Sincere apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you need to be. You wouldn't laugh, you'd cry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, hanging around with this lad, that's true. <laughs> Mara's getting it in the neck today. I oh, know, yeah. yeah. Every episode. Uh, somebody has to. He gets away with murder, this lad. He's <laughs> not get away with murder. This is ridiculous. He has an IMDb page, you know that? Oh, no. I have an IMDb page. Really? Yeah, yeah. when you that much Fair City, you didn't watch me. I watched the replay. I did watch a little bit of it. There you go, look at that. But yeah, oh, I don't he, actually tune into first seat sends, sends, me, sends me an email subject line no big deal Dan <laughs> <laughs> screen grab IMDB page me and the lads at work today were just messing around on uh, Google and uh, one of the lads goes I'm going to Google you and he googled me and it comes up IMDB <laughs> Rocco Keegan from Fair City 
Ray Merrigan is an actor in, in, in Dublin, Ireland. Yeah. I'm not even an actor, man. You were like, woo-woo, woo-woo. Yeah, I was like, I am the beast. You're moonlighting, aren't you, as, a, as an actor? That uh, was your day job. Uh, what? I said, you're moonlighting as an actor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm out of work actor at the moment. <laughs> you're like Joey from Friends. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's me. That's absolutely me. Um, Ash, if people aren't already following you on social media, where can they? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and you can follow me on Instagram and I'm Ashy Daly, so A-I-S-Y-D-A-L-Y. I'm very particular about the spelling. I like the, the Gaelic spelling of <laughs> Ashling, even if the Americans did fight me tooth and nail to spell it <laughs> A-S-H-A. This lad called out Bruce Buffer on you. <laughs> when we had Bruce on the podcast, he was like, yeah, yeah you made a balls of Ash Daly's name. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, ask me, mate. Yeah. And then he was kind of like, no, no, I got, I got it right, didn't I? I got it right, there. And then he got a bit kind of like, did I, did I get it right? <laughs> did I mess it up? I get a little bit offended so. when people message me, especially on Facebook, because it's spelt there. So if they, like, <sighs> if they how's it going, Ashling, A-S-H, and I'd be like, what? Someone spelled my name, Graham. G-R-A-M. Graham. It's like, no, you're after going into my Facebook page or Twitter or whatever. It's on the top bar. It's on the top bar. How can you spell it, Graham. G-R-A-M what a bleeding coke dealer there you go what there you go I'm just saying man coke ad will be back will you stop are they they new wheels are they not new wheels no they're not my job pretty well dressed today (laughs) I was going to say thank you (laughs) where did you get your custom three piece suit and your your alloy wheels (laughs) (laughs) I need spinnies <laughs> um, <laughs> deadly. Um, right, yeah, we are out of time, Ash. But thanks for coming out to us. Thanks and, for um, having me. Look forward to seeing you on the Europeans and all that. And we'll have to follow you around everywhere now and keep your kind of little adrenaline buzz going. Even if it is just us two, we yeah, just shout my, at my you. My personal hype, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, are you sticking with Lindsay as well? Oh, yeah. Through all, all this process. Yeah, yeah. Lindsay's been doing great work with Lindsay Doyle, PT. Yeah. In the lab. So, uh, yeah, yeah. She's really been looking after me very well. And, yeah, I feel great. I'm, I'm super healthy. I'm probably healthier now than I ever was competing. <laughs> really? Because I'm not a professional anorexic anymore. <laughs> I actually get to eat, which is weird because I'm probably lighter, walking around as light as I used to when I compete, but with, like, far less effort. Yeah. All down to Magic Lindsay. I won't call her Magic Bean again. That got a bit weird last time. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't think of the right word to say. I was like, she's just like a magic bean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to start calling her magic bean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you... I just call her amazing, Lindsay. That, that works. That works, yeah. <laughs> Licking her arse. <laughs> I do call she her be, She won't be listening to this anyway. She's a dope. <laughs> she's, she's given up on us since she left. Yeah. She, was she like, abandoned she us. She abandoned yeah, us. She's gone, gone now. She hasn't got the time. Then the, then the little runt came along as well. <laughs> Only joking! The little cutie. <laughs> okay, Graham. Issues much. Graham, though. Graham, though. That's very jealous. Graham, no, baby. Graham, no, baby. I was here first. <laughs> I'm not like that. <laughs> no, you're not, no. No. <laughs> Uh, you can check out all previous episodes of What's the Story podcast that's on iTunes on Stitcher on Poppy and Podcast Republic Podcast Addict anywhere and everywhere just search WTS pod or go to WTSpod.com 
You can look at Merrigan's face on at Merrigan Mania, or you can go to his IMDb page. <laughs> no, just, there's no picture. Just search Graham no Merrigan on IMDb. And the lads are like, I'm going to add a picture today, but then you had to sign up and it's 30 euro a month. 30 euro a month? 30 dollars a month. Somebody's spending 30 quid to put your name on the bleeding yeah. website. No, I'm flattered, man. I'm <laughs> absolutely flattered. If like you, if you are the person... <laughs> If you are the person who added Graham to IMDb, please get in touch with us. Of course, the cues are doing it myself. He'll have his people contact your people. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't accused of doing it myself, but I, I'm not that stupid. Yeah. Do you have a Wikipedia page yet? Um, I'm in the process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, thought, yeah. I haven't figured out how to do it yet. But <laughs> I wrote Pedro's Wikipedia years ago. Did you? Yeah. Cool, man. So you know how to do it. So if you've got a page now, suddenly. Yeah, but I think they're asking for donations now as well, aren't they? I've no idea. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. I tried to amend Pajo something like two years ago, and it's like asking for Visa card details. Jesus. Yeah, good luck. That's rough. That's rough. <laughs> um, anyway, Ash, once again, thanks very much, lads. Thanks to Bash. Until Thank you. next week. Here is. Full hearts. Can't lose. Good luck. <laughs>